Hello, wonderful beings. Welcome back to the TFC Audio Project. On this episode of Critical Conversations, I have a conversation with Jay Nira, and we dive into COVID-19 and politics. Fairly intense topics, but hopefully you find the conversation to be reasonable and informative. Uh, we do our best to ask good questions, do some thought experiments, and we end up diving a bit into politics towards the end, which is beyond my realm of competency. Uh, but I found that Jay had some really interesting points to share. Whether you agree with our points or not, we hope that you find the conversation interesting and thought-provoking. And thank you for listening. This episode of the show is brought to you by TFC Balance Beams. Our team discovered the powerful mental and physical benefits of playing on a beam several years ago. And since then, I've worked hard to manufacture high-quality beams in Canada and also create a system by which people can sort of slowly improve their skill and ability on a balance beam. Our product design philosophy is less but better. And we keep the design simple so that you can creatively express complex movements while having fun training your ability to focus. If you check out tfc-shop.com, you'll be able to see our growing selection of beams. And for a detailed system of how to progress from beginner to advanced, uh, check out beamtribe.com and join that health community for full access to all beam uh, advanced software. This episode of the show is also brought to you by TFC app. In 2019, we realized that the availability of information when it came to health was a bit overwhelming and that platforms like YouTube and Instagram are distraction traps. So we decided to create our own platform. TFC app was about creating a tool that facilitates time well spent. We don't try and steal your attention or distract you. We just try and make sure that the time you spend browsing the curated health content we offer is time spent improving your health awareness. Last but not least, uh, this episode is sponsored by the Roasters Pack. If you're into coffee, this company offers a great service that brings you fresh beans to your door each month, along with the story behind each of the craft roasters that they come from. If you head to the roasterspack.com, use the code foot at checkout, you'll get seven bucks off your first month. And something I forgot to mention, if you are interested in checking out TFC app, go to the footcollective.app, which is a website, and you'll be able to access the current uh, web version, which also works on Android and the iOS version. That's it for sponsors. Hope you enjoy. It's the TFC audio project hello wonderful humans welcome back to the tfc audio project on this episode of critical conversations i'm having a conversation with jay nara and the topic today is going to be all things related to covid19 um, and how it's being managed in ottawa some of the issues that we're seeing with the policies and just unpacking things that have no place on social media but that deserve attention uh, jay's been on the podcast several times before uh, really excited to unpack some juicy stuff today because um, I think it's sometimes rare to find someone who really wants to engage in a deep conversation, and Jay does just that. So, Jay, thanks, uh, thanks for making the time this morning, and welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me. No worries, man. So, for someone who didn't hear the first episode, we did a first episode on critical thinking, um, and I would encourage people to listen to that. It'll give you a much better foundation for. Uh, today's conversation, but if someone didn't hear that, um, maybe just give them a tiny little snippet of info about yourself, uh, and then and then we'll and then I got a, like a little bit of a disclaimer that I want to say, but and then we'll start digging into it. Okay, I'm not really sure what to say. Uh, <laughs> most most people who know me, I guess, kind of originally knew me as a powerlifter because I was a very good, fairly good powerlifter uh, when I was competing. Um, I guess. I guess the main thing is, if I could say anything, I'd consider myself an autodidact. I'm a person who really likes to learn. Okay. And that it's very different when you learn something formally in education versus when you're teaching something for yourself, because there, there's absolutely no dogmatic, no 
you're not you're not stuck to the paradigm of your teacher, mm. right? And that's that's a very big thing I've noticed. And if I could say anything to kind of describe myself, I start with a story that I got recently on Instagram for from a girl I went to elementary school with. Nice, and this really made me smile because I don't remember it. But I guess when I was having my confirmation, I went to a Catholic school. Yep. When we were having confirmation, and then they asked me all these questions if if you accept yourself into God, right? This is the confirmation is a thing after baptism. You're baptized, but you don't really have the choice. Right. And then confirmations <laughs> when you have the choice and you say, yes, right. I embrace religion. This. Yeah, you confirm. And uh, and I guess I said no. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, a great story. And I don't remember this, but she, she just wrote this message. She's, she's just like, Jay, like, I admire your posts. I admire everything you're doing. I'm so glad I started following you. I look forward to your posts every day. And uh, it just reminds me of when we were we were in grade six, and you stood up and you said no. That is and amazing. My jaw dropped, and I will never forget it. And I, just, I was just like, wow, like I don't remember this, but that's I'm like I could definitely see that because I I've definitely always asked questions, just like I talked about in our last episode with uh, with my economics, right? Right. When I asked the teacher a question, he didn't answer it the way I liked, and then it just it made me hate my economics right which we can get to later yeah i think that that may have been the best way to to frame that initial snippet that there could be because i think that paints a kind of a good picture of the kind of person you are uh and that you've probably been you know for a long time so as a disclaimer which i've never done before and this is a pretty loose one but we're not telling anyone what to do or what to think our only hope is that everyone takes the responsibility of engaging in their own independent research and you know strive for for sound sense making right like we're just making observations we're not pretending to have the answers and anyway we hope that you find this conversation interesting and maybe um maybe it can help you guide a series of questions so that you can inquire deeper because that's what we all need to do and i think that some things need to be discussed on a podcast. And this is definitely one of them, right? Social media is simply not the right, right space. And I've learned that when you bring up a topic, when you bring up the C word on social media, uh, it creates a shitstorm. So hopefully today we can open up um, certain topics and have a more nuanced discussion. I think the podcast is a way better venue for that. So one of the first things that um, I figured would be good to start off with is the, this concept of reality curation. Um, and and let I think even we can go a layer deeper and just talk about, okay, if you break the world up, if you break reality up into two sections, you have the virtual world and you have the natural world. The natural world is talking to someone else in person, out in nature, you know, basically anything you do that's disconnected from the internet, let's call it. And then you have the virtual world, which is the world that I think more people are spending more of their time in. And this is, uh, includes like social media, it includes television, includes YouTube. So anything that uses the internet or mainstream media outlets to send you information is the virtual world. I think a lot of people are spending a lot more time in the virtual world. And I also was really shocked when I started to look into the game theory, like um, how, what, what is the incentive structure with something like social media? And I realized that it's curated for each of us individually based on what companies think we want to hear which creates a problem because if your reality that you're spending more time in is essentially curated, is, is, is created specifically for you, and then my reality is created specifically for me, we have completely different data sets. We are exposed to different things that reinforce different perspectives, and that essentially 
creates a massive obstacle to collective sense making. We can no longer have a conversation because we have such different data sets, which are artificial. They are not true. They are created, curated by algorithms. So, you know, I would love to hear, and, and this brings up the topic of censorship, which I, I think is a deep one to dive into, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on reality curation and, and how are you seeing that? And how do you see that as something that's getting in the way of our ability to make sense as a, as team human? I think that like, so, so first, the first thing that jumped out at me when you said that yep. was, so there's this real world and this virtual world, right? and we're, we're dipping our foot in one and the other from time to time. Yep. If we look at what's happening in the world right now and the restrictions that are being placed on us, yep. not only are we expo- we, we, do we have to choose between this curated and real world is we are forced into our curated world more often because of True. this COVID situation. So if we even as much as we want to see other people and physically have conversations with them and exchange our own ideas and engage in free speech, mm-hmm. that alone is being limited that's a good point through all of this. So we are like, if I look at my phone usage now compared to one year ago, it is insane, right? Like it is insane. It's sneaky too. Cause you don't realize it. Yeah, Same here. It, it's absolutely insane, but it's cause now when I like, I engage with people on Instagram and in text message, like not, not even so much in email anymore, but it's just, it's just literally like conversations on Instagram is almost where I get most of my human interaction these days. Right. And I find that's crazy. It is. That's absolutely crazy. And I think this other underlying thing back to game theory is like the natural world doesn't have an incentive to draw you into it. Right. Like trees don't make billions of dollars getting you to come look at them. There is massive amounts of money being made and being put into basically getting you attracting you in a very strong way, diving into these deep, deeply human ingrained tendencies diving deep into your you know your primitive brain to to essentially incentivize getting you hooked and and essentially social media or or really the virtual world as a whole gets paid a lot of money to capture your attention which means it's really good at that and most people don't even realize it's happening and i think that's another aside from the fact that we're now forced to engage more with the virtual world the virtual world has massive amounts of money put into bringing us into it as much as possible. I think that's a big factor as well. It, it's a it's a very scary incentive. I remember when you said that, I it kind of hit me in a different way because I didn't think about just the attention is the product. Mm-hmm. I didn't think of it like that. I always kind of thought of it as <clears throat> there's an end game, something mm-hmm. greater. But in, in that case, it was very neat because... Yeah, like maybe there isn't always some big narrative that people are pushing. Sometimes I wonder, is the media pushing or are all media outlets pushing this grand narrative that seems to be happening? Or is it just that sensationalizing things keeps people looking at their their product? I think that's the bigger force at play. And, uh, and, and that's something that I, I agree with to some extent. But then sometimes what happens is when you look at the censorship, that's when you really start to question things. When I, when yeah. I look at, when I look at certain sides of a story never being shared mm-hmm. or being blocked, then it really makes me wonder, okay, what's going on? Because censorship is a very, very scary. Uh, it's just a very scary tactic for, for anyone to partake in. Cause like censorship, propaganda, like all these things of information, like it all revolves around like this free flow of information. 
right? You have free thought. Like you have these thoughts, and then you and I are having a conversation, so there's free speech. Mm-hmm. And then is that free, free speech allowed to be shared? Right. In, sorry, like I know it's kind of the same thing. It's free speech, but I just mean like you have a thought. It's yep. in your brain. You share it with me. Okay. Mm-hmm. Are we allowed to share it with other people? Right. There's no barrier in that case. Right. There's no barrier. And then when we share it with other people, it goes into the cycle. Well, that might change their thoughts and then they might refine it or just telephone game it. Right. Or mm-hmm. just share it with other people. And the idea travels. Right. Right. But the second we censor something that stops, it just completely stops. There's no more sharing of ideas. Mm-hmm. And in our world, in the real world, what we want is the free market of ideas. Mm-hmm. We want people to be able to reason with like reality, reason, conversation, share ideas, refine them, make them better. And then that's how we keep make, making the world a better place is because then we have more sound ideals. Right. Right. But the second we start putting a stop on that, that's when it gets very scary. And, uh, and we're seeing this like concerted effort right now by a lot of media outlets, uh, on certain information. And mm-hmm. I find that very frightening. I agree. <clears throat> and maybe this is a good place to get into different types of censorship because there are very blatantly obvious out in the open types. And then there's the really, uh, maybe not so obvious types like self-censorship. And then there's the extremely, extremely sneaky types, which is, you know, algorithmic curation of what you see, which is a type of censorship. And I don't think that that's always on purpose. Like I heard something from Tristan Harris, who was a, a Google coder and he's an ethicist and he left there and he's, he's like my go-to dude to understand the game theory of social media and the negatives that are being created. But he basically said that, okay, if I'm scrolling through Instagram and then I see a, a, a car accident and I pause for two or three seconds to look at that car accident because humans are essentially wired to look at really graphic, disturbing things that captures our attention. What Instagram learns from me pausing on that is that I like to watch car accidents. That's the interpretation because this is just a a piece of code, essentially a robot that's determining what best captures my attention. Give me more of that so that I maximize the amount of time I'm spending on that platform. If when I see a perspective on, you know, a current event like vaccines, for example, if I see something that confirms my current perspective on vaccines, then social media assumes that that is what I like to see. It's going to give me more of that. And it's going to give me less of what I don't, what it assumes I don't like to see, which is the opposing perspective. So that form of censorship is not, there's not someone saying, don't get, let this person see anything that says vaccines are bad. It's essentially just a computer learning what I like, and then essentially curating what I see based on what it thinks I like. And that's a form of censorship because I'm not going to be exposed to anything that negates my current perspective. And that's not outright censorship. There's not someone on purpose blocking that, but that essentially is a, is a externality of the way that we program uh, algorithms, like specific profiles and how we expose people to content. So, you know, that's at the sneaky end. The blatant end is like Facebook doesn't let, or YouTube doesn't let a video be seen by the YouTube world YouTube community. And the scariest thing I'm seeing is that there is so much blatant censorship of, of even people like doctors, board certified physicians are being censored on something like YouTube or Instagram. That's really, that's a blatant red flag. Like they're not even trying to hide that. 
And that's scary. Well, that, that's what I mean when I say like, it, it depends, like when, when things start becoming a concerted effort, that's mm-hmm. when it really starts being scary. I found it, uh, just a word popped up, algorithmic echo chamber. Ooh, that's a good one. <laughs> when you started talking about like what you're looking at. Because that's what happens, basically. That you are stuck in an algorithmic echo chamber. And so my question was, because just because you mentioned like vaccines is like, do you think people get put into this algorithmic echo chamber when they're looking up anti-vaccine stuff or only when they're looking up pro-vaccine stuff? Yeah, and that I don't know. Right, because of my experience, it's only one side of the, the story. Right. When I'm looking up things, everything seems to be on like the mainstream. Everything seems to be within that agenda. Like if I look up something on, say, Google mm-hmm. versus DuckDuckGo or Quant, Q-W-A-N-T, just saying it because not too many people know about it. But right. if I look something up on there versus Google, Google only shows certain ideas and opinions. It's right. very, very, very censored now. I don't even bother with Google at right. all. Um, so if I'm looking up, say, HCQ, right, it's not, it's not really in there, any of the, the pro-HCQ stuff. Hmm. Um, but if you go HCQ to, being hydroxychloroquine? Yeah. Okay. Uh, but if you go on the other ones, then it's there. Right. right. So if we're looking for studies that show that it works or that it isn't dangerous even, just not necessarily that it works, but it isn't dangerous, and we look in other places, we're going we're gonna to find it. But if we go on Google, we're not. Right? Yeah. And there's almost like a there's almost like an innate flaw built into uh, search because a lot of times search like the highest search or the highest clicked piece of like web page will come up highest in search, even from an objective standpoint, if you're not trying to censor anything, it's just like, okay, this is the most popular thing. So if someone types in HCQ, this should be the first thing that pops up. Does that even foster in and of itself foster some sort of group think, right? Because you're automatically going to be exposed to what most people think. And so the least popular notion, which is the least known, which might in fact be the most true, is automatically not going to get shown. So it's, it's almost a hard, because I thought about that the other day. I'm like, what if Google just objectively populated search without any external uh, meddling at all? We're still going to be left in a position where m- most people will see what most other people have seen. So is that in and of itself a problem? Like it's a, it's a hard thing to solve. And I think the solution is spend more time in the natural world having real conversations. Definitely, definitely. Um, you know? that, that's like a, when, we, when we think about, say, democracy. Because like, right. democracy is majority rule. Right. So if we're looking at the algorithm and it's just sh- showing up by frequency, objectively by frequency alone on mm. Google. That's kind of a democracy. That, that, that's what, exactly what you're saying. It's still that, that group think, that majority. And you know, I always think of George Carlin's like, you know, think of how stupid the average person is and then realize that half the people are stupider than that, mm, right? Interesting. And uh, so we think about that in like ter- terms of Google, even if it was objective, we're still getting a lot of the stupid results right. showing up at the top. So engaging in conversation is certainly one way to do it. And uh, I, I think it's tough. Like it's tough for people like at the end of the day, everyone wants the truth. We should want the truth. I agree. I think everyone does. Yeah. But not everyone has the tools to just to like even engage with that. That's the thing. And not everyone has the motivation. uh, Or the bandwidth. Especially right now with how much chaos is going on. Like people are just struggling to not suffer, let alone like it's really hard to ask that person who's struggling to even make enough money to support their family that they should 
take on the personal responsibility of deciphering the maelstrom of information and misinformation out there. Yeah, so I, I feel I feel for it. Yeah, and that, that's one of the unsaid, like untalked about side effects of propaganda. Is like because propaganda, like if we were to break it all down, you have like propaganda, censorship. Um, How do you define propaganda? So propaganda is really kind of like the putting out of misinformation or the putting out of spins on information, pushing a narrative in order to push some kind of opinion. Right. Right. It's 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 an agenda. It's a information with an agenda but it's almost always misinformation. Yes. Right? Because so, the word propaganda gets, like people look at that as an extreme word, but that's a beautiful word. And it, it, it actually holds, like I looked up the definition and said information, especially of a biased or misleading nature, used to promote or publicize a particular political cause or point of view. And it says that the communication is used to influence an audience to further an agenda. It selectively presents facts to encourage a certain perspe- perspective, which that, that's a potent one. It uses loaded language. And one of my favorite points, the last one is it uses imagery designed to promote a ro- emotional rather than logical responses. So they basically they've taken principles of psychology of how to hack humans and applied it to make sure that they're only putting out a certain perspective to usher people towards that path. And that's a really powerful force that I think most people don't even know they're exposed to. No, definitely not. And, and like, so the thing with propaganda, so there's propaganda and then there's censorship. So I see them as almost opposites. So propaganda is putting information out there, whether mm-hmm. it's pictures, commercials, statues, whatever. It's an input. Yeah, it's an input, whereas censorship is limiting gotcha. information. And they are both doing it to try to force some kind of idea. So you said propaganda is putting facts, like the convenient facts out there. Mm-hmm. Well, censorship is stopping the inconvenient facts. Yes. Right? So I kind of see them as like the same two sides of the same coin. One's, mm-hmm. one's putting in, one's taking away. Um, but they have the same objective. They have the same objective. And the thing is, we all do this. Right. It's like, where do you draw the line? We all do this. Like if you and I have a conversation, we have our own confirmation biases that we are unaware of to some degree. Mm-hmm. No matter how hard we try to be objective, we are going to have little bits of it. Right? right. And we try our best. Like sometimes if I want to, if I'm trying to win an argument with you, let's say I get in that mm-hmm. mood where I'm not necessarily trying to <laughs> seek the truth, but instead I'm just like, no, my ego's here right. and I want to win this argument because this guy's a jerk. You know what I mean? Yep. So I'm going to sit there and I could kind of say something where I'm like, yeah, I know that there's this fact, da, 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 da. But instead I just don't say it. Right. And I'm like, I'm going to see if he knows it. And if he knows it, then I'll address it. Yep. But if he doesn't know it, then we're not even going to bring it. So that's it. a form of censorship. Exactly. That's a form of censorship. And we all do this. So the question is, at what point does censorship and propaganda become a problem? Because like we all do prop like I hate propaganda. It's why I've always been bad at as, as a businessman, mm-hmm. I'm not good at selling myself. Right. Someone who says that they're the best in the world at something, right? Technically he's kind of putting propaganda about themselves out there <laughs> because it's point. like, are you the best? You know what I mean? Like, right. I, like I could say I was number one in the world at one point in time. But at that time, I never, ever said best in the world because I'd be like, well, there's weight classes, there's knee wraps. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, how granular do you want to go with that? Yeah, it's like, <laughs> it's like, no, it's just not there. But at some point, that would be propaganda. So right. where do we draw the line? Well, what's the prop? I, I, I think some because because I just realized like my life revolves around putting out health propaganda on social media. <laughs> yeah. So it's like I think a, a variable is what is the in, 
what intention is the propaganda? What is the net result of that propaganda? Is it net harm or net benefit? And that might be something where we can look at propaganda as a neutral word, or should it be looked as a neutral word? Yeah, because like bet net. Once we start talking net benefit, then that becomes like subjective, right? right are right. we talking about individuals, or are we talking about the common good? Yeah, right. That's, that starts getting very scary, uh, like a, a difficult conversation to have. But I think I think any time it isn't the goal isn't objective truth. Mm-hmm. Any time it isn't mm, objective like truth, that. and just putting objective truth out there, then you can classify it as propaganda. So if you're educating your people, that's not propaganda, right? Right. It's only propaganda if you're if you're uh, spinning the information slightly. That's true. Right. And I'm not trying to get, I'm actually trying to incentivize logical responses, not emotional ones. Although on social media, you have to play the game to a certain extent. Yeah. Yeah. But I think the intention behind it is, I mean, our intention is to give people back responsibility for their health, which means that we're not telling people what to do or reinforcing a perspective. It's just, we want you to make sense of the world Here's what we've done to try and make sense of the world until now. Hopefully this helps you like pick up this package of information and take it yourself and do your own work. So yeah, I guess it's not really propaganda because I've always seen propaganda. I mean, you hear about propaganda in Nazi Germany, right? Yes. Where that's, the, that's is that where the word came from? I wonder. Uh, no, I, I just looked this up recently. I can't remember right now. I'm that's sorry, okay. but no, it didn't start there, but, uh, but, but that's where you see it's potential, right? When you get a whole country, programmed in a way that is very harmful and lets them doesn't let them see anything but one perspective which has this a serious agenda that is very sinister and one thing i've tried to think of is like i don't think that that things that are being done right now that are harming people or removing freedoms i don't think they're actually being done with evil intent it's you know all the time certainly there's probably some of that i think there's literally just massive a massive inability of the people making the rules to be objective and, and to see the whole thing. Right. Like it's, it's so because, because I look at something like, okay, making everyone wear a mask. I personally, and I'm not telling you this needs to be your opinion, but I personally see that as a, a big (coughs) infringement of our freedoms, not based on any reliable science that would warrant that measure. I don't think people are trying to harm people or remove their freedoms without reason. But I also don't feel that they're looking at the right perspective to know that that is not where we should be putting our energy. So it's like, it's like, why are we making these rules that are actually really messed up? Like why is when, when we go into lockdown and only essential businesses are deemed to be able to be open, why can't you go to a physio clinic or a gym, but you can go by alcohol Side note, alcohol is run by the government in Ontario. Like, why? how does that rule make it through? In, uh, in, in philosophy, there's this term called package dealing. Okay. And package dealing is when you're accepting, like, let's take religion, for example. If you, if, you accept, if you accept God, then you accept the Ten Commandments, and then you accept all the stuff said in the Bible. Okay. You know what I mean? So you can't, you can't say you accept God, but you don't believe in the commandments. Can't be selective. Right, you you accept the whole thing, Mm -hmm. and I think that one of the things that happens to a lot of us is we get in these arguments. Let's say you and I have this argument about masks, okay? okay? And I disagree with you. We should wear masks everywhere. Blah 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 blah. And the same people who wear masks are also the same people who believe in social distancing, right? So I've packaged out social distancing in there as well, right? And then the same people who believe in masks believe that PCRs work. Sure. 
PCRs work, right? So these people, they, they, they put their convictions in, your, your emotions are down on this one topic. Mm-hmm. And then what happens is you end up grouping yourselves into all of these other topics. Right. Right. It's, it's, it's kind of like Black Lives Matter is not realizing that they're Marxists. Mm-hmm. Like, how, how do you guys, it's like, how do people not know that they're Marxists? It's on their website. <laughs> right? right. But they're like, well, don't you care about black lives? Like, of course I care about black lives. I'm, yes. an, I'm an individualist. So of course I do. I care about every single life out there to the smallest minority possible, the individual. Right. So how can you say someone who's against black lives matter and cares about individuals, you know, doesn't care about black lives. It's like, well, you've packaged dealt yourself into this black lives matter unit. Yeah. Right? People don't realize that they've accepted this whole thing. So we have that. And it's like anti-vaxxers versus vaxxers. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and like, to me, it's like, well, can you not be anti COVID vaccine without being anti-vaxxer? Right. It's like, well, here we have a vaccine, you know, like, sure. We have vaccines that can be good that maybe we could show with some science are good. And maybe we can show with some science are not good. Mm-hmm. Right. There's science on both, both ways, but maybe I, maybe I'm pro-vaxxer and there are pro-vax doctors out there mm-hmm. who are anti COVID vax. Right. Because they're like, no, this is too quick. It's going to be dangerous. And not pro every vax. Like what if you're pro safe vaccine use for the benefit of, of the health of children that puts you in a camp that is neither vax or anti-vax. It is the thoughtful use of vaccines that are safe and effective, which is not like, unfortunately that's not a category that shows up on most people's radar. Right. And, and, and it's, a, but it's a category that's propagandized in the media, <laughs> right. right? Like the, like if someone says, if a doctor were to go out and say that he disagrees with the COVID vaccine created by X company, mm-hmm. then the media is going to say, Dr. So-and-so is anti-vaxxer. Right. Right. And it's like, well, why is he doing that? Why aren't we discussing the merits of his argument right. rather than grouping him into this way? It's like conspiracy theorist. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, this person's a conspiracy theorist. Well, what's like, if you look at the definition of conspiracy theorist, is this a theory about a conspiracy <laughs> you know what i mean it's right. like, so this person has a theory does that make them crazy right it's like it's like no there's nothing crazy about that at all all it yep. means is this person has drawn some lines mm-hmm. connecting a lot of things and people are involved and it looks like a conspiracy right right it's like that, that's not crazy i agree right so so i, I think like falling group like the, the biggest the biggest issue is trying not to group people all the time yeah and getting out of package and admitting that there is no like everyone should be able to unpack nuance and treat it like a menu where they don't have to be all in or all out. They can be, okay, I adopt things that resonate with, with how I'm seeing reality and I don't necessarily have to engage in the package deal. Right. Right. And I think that that's, I think people knowing that that's an option is important too, because I think sometimes people can feel like, and I think it boils, part of it boils down to the fact that we are currently living in a age of cognitive overload we are not supposed to take in this much information and so we have to chunk things we have to in order to not get overwhelmed we have to chunk okay well if i agree with this then i'm just going to agree with those other things because i don't have time to actually put enough brain energy into all these individual things and and analyze individual merit i'm just going to chunk myself there because i already have too much overload coming into my brain and so i think part of it is like what things do you find worth breaking down to determine what parts you agree with and what parts you don't and why. And I think like we have to prioritize like what matters to you and what 
affects your personal life and then maybe engage in a deeper process of inquiry instead of just adopting one narrative or the other determine what your personal narrative should be based on your outlook yeah it's hard that's the thing it's very difficult i uh so so i told you i'm writing a book it's going Mm -hmm. to be called the great scam and it's foundations for political conversations Cool. is basically what the book is and at the beginning of the book i have to talk about I, like I, I hate that i had to do this for the first like 20 pages is just talk about <laughs> like i call it the hard line in the sand okay which is just reality and reason it's okay like if it's not reality and reason we, we can't use it and uh so I, I talk about conditional versus unconditional positions so you mm. when we take positions some people have unconditional positions and some people have conditional positions a conditional position is a position that is based off of reason of reality and then reason right like you're doing logical reasoning to arrive the key thing so that's unconditional conditional you're arriving at your conclusion okay right and every step is conditional on your reasonal your reasoning okay right you don't take a step unless reason takes you there right right and all every the first step is based off of reality okay right and reality is the most important thing because that's all you and I have in common. Right. It's the only common ground we have yeah, to work on. It's the only on. common ground. So it's like, listen, we can't talk about religion because if you're you're a Muslim and I'm Jewish, we're going to have disagreements automatically. Let's just talk about this as a table. Right. Let's start from there. Yep. Um, but then people have unconditional. And unconditional simply means they have positions that they're going to hold unconditionally. It doesn't even matter what facts are present. It's oh, just okay, unconditional. Okay, okay. Right. right. Like unconditional love. You love someone unconditionally. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, what if they go out and murder 50 people? Do you still love them? Right. Right. It's like, no, love should be conditional. So mm-hmm. your position should also be conditional. Mm-hmm. Right. So I, I label one the defender. So one person is just the unconditional person is just a person who takes a position, they plant their feet and they build a castle around it. They echo chamber, put these bricks up, mm-hmm. they selectively take the information that supports their position and they put it up and they ignore everything else. It's an unconditional position and they are defenders of it. So it's like blind faith. Yeah. In something. Pretty much. And these, these people dominate society though. And it's partly because of like, you're saying the curated content, like not everyone realizes it, mm-hmm. but then we also have like, so the other person, the conditional is an explorer. So I call them explorers. It's like, we're exploring for the truth. Mm-hmm. We're trying to find it. Right. And that attitude to me is like, just it's it's extremely different because it's we're it's something we can do together right you know what i mean it's, and it involves i always feel like it has to involve playful curiosity in order to be beneficial because right. you have to not you have to be willing to not have any judgment on something until you have enough of an understanding that you feel you can pass a judgment and if it's playful me and you can play it can look intense sometimes like a conversation, a good conversation, I consider play. And it can, it's like, um, it's like if we were doing jujitsu, it can look like, it can look like I'm trying to kill you and strangle you, but we're playing, right? We're discovering each other's limits. We're experimenting. And I think dialogue can be like that too, but it has to be playful and it has to be led by curiosity, which by its nature is non-judgmental. I think that's a very powerful element in, in people I'd like to have conversations with. I found that that is a big thread where there's always humor there's always a playful nature and we're both extremely curious. Right. And those are like big pillars of a good conversation. And being curious kind of is, is being curious about something is being, I like, I always think of childlike when I think of the word, word curious mm-hmm. and children don't have egos. Right. Right. So it's, it's also just not having your ego there. Cause it's like, 
it's like you know what i'm wrong so so right. what, am i am i a bad person now no it's like, mm-hmm. let's just keep looking for the truth it's like literally as if we are looking for something as if you and i are looking for a four-leaf clover right. like it's no different than that it's exactly like, it's fun you know is it over there no oh okay let's look let's over go here. somewhere else <laughs> you know that was a that was a bad thought you right know, it wasn't there so let's look over here and it's it's nothing more than that and so to bring it back to propaganda, like if we're looking for something, like let's change that to look, we're looking for a coin in the water or something. Like, okay. like propaganda is like a means of muddying the waters. It's mm. really what it is. It's putting all of this misinformation out there. And like you're saying, it fatigues us, mm-hmm. right? So it's putting so much out there that we just, we don't even know where to look anymore. Yeah. Right. There, there's just, there's, this says this, this says this, this says this, where do we go? What do we do? Uh, Fauci says, don't wear masks. One month later, wear masks. Right. You know, asymptom- Fauci says asymptomatic people are never the drivers of uh, outbreaks, the major drivers. And then now all of a sudden, asymptomatic people are all we're noticing because there's no case impact. So everything has to do with asymptomatic people. Like, where do we, where do we draw? Like, it's always coming back to that sentence. Where do you draw the line? How do we figure out how to find the truth? And how do we navigate through these muddy waters Mm -hmm. and the answer is always 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 going to be reality and reason we always have to be searching for facts and then we always have to be working with them reasonably and it starts to get very difficult because of things like fact checkers (laughs) you know what I mean (laughs) Like the ministry oh, of God. truth, like yeah. just like who are these people that have that are gods of truth, right? Do they work for Facebook? Oh, they do. Oh, that's <laughs> weird. Like it's so it's really uncomfortable. Like who says that us adults don't have the capacity to determine our own facts, right? Like why? Like why is Daddy not letting you have all the information? It's really messed up because it literally is like throwing okay there's this big machine called sense making there's a lot of cogs and actually it requires collective input in order to work so we all have to contribute to this because we all have to come individual sense making about big concepts is near impossible because of how muddy the water is so we have to take okay you take this square centimeter of water there's some mud there but you only have this little this little area to look in i'm going to take this one we'll get a thousand people we're all going to take a tiny bit of of this pond the water's muddy, but we can deal with one one thousandth of the pond. And then whoever finds it puts their hand up and says, I found it. Oh, it's over here. Come on, everyone. Come check it out. And then we discuss, is that the right coin? Did you actually find the coin? Are there more? Are there more coins? Did anyone else find any? No. Okay. There's one coin. That's where it is. We all came to this together. So this machine has a lot of cogs. And when you have fact checkers that are censoring or changing information, it's like someone put a wrench in the entire machine. And that machine no longer, now there's an externality that is being put there purposely to disrupt our ability for collective sense-making. And that's really disturbing. It's extreme, especially the, the one I find most disturbing is when there is this huge push for science and everyone uses the word science. And then when scientists and doctors and specialists come out and say something that is counter. That's not science anymore. It, it just... <laughs> It, or they, they just find ways to discredit it. And it's like, well, well let's look. Why are, let, Let's take this on merit. That's yeah. it. Let's take this on merit. You're not even letting us see this. Yeah. That's exa- the problem, exactly. right? It's like you're not even letting us determine the merit of this because you're not even giving us access to it. Right. That's really messed yeah. up. There's a very interesting guy, uh, just to bring it back to like COVID, there's a very interesting doctor, Dr. Bartlett, and he's been treating 
his patients with something, uh, I don't want to butcher the word, budesonide. Budesonide. Okay. Budesonide. B-U-D-O-S-E-N-I-D-E. Okay. Budesonide. And budesonide is a, a corticosteroid. It's a puffer, an inhaler. Okay. Take. $3. It's a $3 inhaler. And, uh, and basically, everyone was told at the beginning of the pandemic not to use these corticosteroids because, like, it's a respiratory disease, right? Right. Like, people are having trouble breathing. So mm-hmm. it makes sense. Like, let's try, like, albuterol, like the, the blue one that everyone always uses. And, and they're like, no, because that is... Um, because that lowers people's immune systems. One of the side effects is that is it lowers people's immune response. Right. So they're like, let's stay away from those because this is also immune problem, COVID, right? So people haven't been using it, but this guy just like stopped. He's like, okay, let's just look at this as if I wasn't given any information at all. And just a small tidbit there. Why do we ever use immunosuppressants if we refuse to use anything that suppresses immune function? Yeah. Like there's a place for certain things. Let's yeah. dig into it deeper. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. But anyway, so Dr. Bartlett, he, he, he stopped and he's like, okay, let's imagine I haven't been told any of this information and I'm just looking at it from scratch, from the start. And, uh, and he's like, okay, he's like, so we know this. So we know the ACE2. We know, we know there's, pro- there's things going on with ACE2. Like the reason kids don't show it is because like ACE2 is something that uh, go- it increases with age. Okay. So kids don't have any. So it, COVID attaches to your ACE2. Which, which so ACE2 tra- is a receptor. Yeah, sorry. It's a receptor and COVID attaches to it and it travels around your body and that's how it gets into other organs and that's how it starts getting really bad. But kids don't have much of this really. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the reasons why kids barely ever show any symptoms. Right. And as we get older and older, our body produces more and more. Um, and then some people who take like ACE2 inhibitors, uh, there were like questions around that. Like, is ACE2 inhibitor bad because then the body starts upright, upregulating ACE, ACE2 or, right. right. So people are trying to figure that out. But the point is there's something around ACE2. It, it attaches to ACE2. Okay. Yep. So budesonide brings it down, down regulates ACE2. Okay. So that's one of the things it does. So which seems like a good thing. The other thing it does is it's highly anti-inflammatory. So it fights off any cytokine storms, Hmm. right? So COVID, which travels on the ACE2 and creates cytokine storms, and those are the main two problems that it does. Well, this budesonide, well, it's like, like Dr. Bartlett pretty much said, he's like, this drug or this, this puffer is pretty much made for COVID. Like it's great. Like it's, I wouldn't call it like the cure, but it is the best thing out there. And, and we should probably look into it. And we should, yeah. He's like, we should be looking into it. And he's been using it with a hundred percent, like hundred percent success. Doesn't matter if you use it late. Doesn't matter if you use it early. Um, but why haven't we heard about this? Right. Right. We haven't heard about this at all. This sounds like a breakthrough. It, it sounds should like be. a breakthrough. Even the even the HCQ stuff for everyone out there. There's a website called C19 Study, just mm-hmm. C19 Study.com. And it just has all the hydroxychloroquine studies going on around the world. And you can press or you can click on any one of them. Then a little pop-up shows up to give you the details and the methodology of the study that they're doing. Wow. Right. And and some of them are good. Like they're not all good. Like some of them are good. Some of them are neutral and some of them are, are not good. Most of them are favorable though. But everything's there. But every, exactly. Everything's there. And it's just just a place for all doctors to get together and look at it. Cool. Um, I can't remember where I was going. Budesonide. Budesonide. So, so budesonide is a very, so we have these like whether we're talking about HCQ which doesn't necessarily uh, cure anything or budesonide which we're still unsure about but this guy's having 100% success and the mechanism seems to make and sense the, the mechanism like theoretically it makes perfect sense but we're not exploring it so why why 
Right. That is the biggest question. Why are we not exploring it? I read this book a while ago called The Dementia Cure by Vernon Maxwell. And Vernon Maxwell is an author who writes on all types of health topics, but he's held quiet. He, they don't invite him to conferences or anything of course. because he talks about solving the problem, not, <laughs> not, not treating the solutions. Right. Right. So, so his thing is like most, most dementia is curable and he has these different ways uh, upon doing it. I actually haven't finished it because I started reading other stuff. It's not dementia isn't exactly hot topic. The biggest thing on the plate is just a neat, neat thing. So I grabbed it. But, uh, but one of the things he talks about is how did it make you feel when you read that? Uh, so, so it pissed me off. Um, and, right. and it, it ties into the COVID. So he was originally, he's from the UK and he was originally invited to talk at this conference on, they were having problems with, they noticed that a lot of treatments that they were giving people in the UK were unsuccessful. Mm-hmm. I always forget the word, but like top three deaths in the world, one of them is doctor induced, right? Right. Whether it's from treatments or mistreatments, but right. it's, it's number three I, I, I after I cancer and heart conditions. Yeah, exactly. It's number, it's number three. So they were having a conference based on this alone. And he was invited to it. And he, as the, the date draw near, drew near, he was waiting for his invitation. Mm-hmm. Uh, he signed a contract. He had already been paid for it. So he's just like waiting for, to figure for out details. when he can go. And he never <clears throat> got it. <clears throat> and so he called them up. He's like, hey, am I still coming? What's going on? I'm prepared. I have my presentation already. And they're like, no, you're not coming anymore. We don't want you here. And he's like, what's going on? And some pharmaceutical companies became the big contributors to the thing, right? So the, the pharmaceutical companies obviously don't want anyone going in who's going to say that these drugs aren't helping people and we need to start doing X, Y, Z. Right. Right. It's just like the same, like if we're going to talk about like say statins, doctors are easily going to push statins, but they're not going to talk about lifestyle. Oh my God. Right. They're not going to talk about lifestyle. Yeah. So, and even with statins, like has any doctor that pushes statins read the Jupiter study and how blatant it is that statin, the data around statins has been so doctored that it's like, it's so messed up, dude. Yeah. It's so it's because I, I asked you how you felt because I read a book called Anatomy of an Epidemic by Robert Whitaker, and he basically goes into antidepressants and mental health and shows that not only are the basically and, and he cites all of his research and, do, you know, I'm going to say something, but do your own research before you take this at, at face value. He basically said that not only are antidepressants not effective, they are actually inducing massive amounts of harm because of the second and third order effects of what they, what they do. And he wrote this book a long time ago. And he basically said, antidepressants do not work. They're harming people and they're doing way more harm than what people think. And yet they're still the gold standard when someone has mental health problems. And I was so angry when I read that. And I've literally had to like compartmentalize and push that down until I want to dive into it again because it was so it's so upsetting that something that can alleviate so much suffering if we just improve our understanding especially on the medical side literally is so suppressed and quieted and hush hushed through all the mainstream media outlets and like the the most important things get zero get zero airtime because it conflicts with a bigger agenda of people with power who are selling things and it really pissed me off. And it's like, so, and there's probably so many of these things. That's the thing. It's like, okay, well, if I just found this book, there's probably books on a lot of things. And I, I, I bought a couple books about cancer and I literally stopped reading them because I was like, this is going to consume me. And, and it's really, yeah, it's really, because that's a form of censorship, right? Where they're not stopping you from publishing a book, but like we're doing a vaccine task force. And one of the resources was looking up, uh, there was a book about autism and how like the rise of autism. 
and some of the team members in Australia and the UK couldn't even get it on Amazon. It was, it was withdrawn from Amazon. I can get it here, but they can't get it there. So why is that? It's still available by the author, but it's not being allowed to be sold in the UK or Australia. That kind of censorship is super sneaky. You're, you're not letting people access the books. That's crazy. It's very crazy. I mean, we have, like, to, to go back to that, like, dementia um, conference, the, that, that author, the conference, Vernon, yeah, Vernon sorry. Maxwell, and the, the conference. Like, so the pharmaceutical company is pretty much owning this conference. Yeah. And this conference is telling people how to treat people. Right. Right. Like this is a very, this sounds like medicine. It sounds like medicine, but like, like if you just like, you hear me say that, like it's pretty simple to draw the line. The pharmaceutical company is telling people how to, how to treat the pharmaceutical company is directing medicine. Right. right? It's a very easy line to draw when you just say that one sentence. Yes. But for some reason it happens everywhere. So we have pharmaceutical companies right now all around the world spending billions, mm-hmm. billions of dollars on this vaccine. Right, for COVID. Yeah, they're spending billions of dollars. So let's say some guy comes up and he's like, hey. They're not doing that for fun, by yeah, the way. <laughs> it's like, let's say some guy comes up and he's like, hey, this puffer, it's $3. $3 per person. Right, and, it's, and it seems to be effective so far. Let's research it. Yeah, so, so knowing the power of lobbying and government, uh, how are we going to expect people? Oh, cool. Let's use it. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Done. Done. Boom. Right. So, and I I don't know if it's the cure. I don't know if it works. I've just, I've just seen his, I've just seen a lot of stuff on him and it seems extremely promising. And the theory makes a ton of sense. Yeah. Warren's investigation. Yeah. I'm not a doctor, so I can't, you know, but knowing, knowing this interests of people, Mm -hmm. interests of corporations of the pharmaceutical industry, I'm very, I'm very skeptical, cynical that mm-hmm. we'll see that come out in the media or anything like that. I, I don't think, I don't think we'll be hearing about it, and that scares me right. because we're talking about people's health. And, and yeah, right. So, so that that's a very, very, very scary uh, situation. So that I mean, that essentially articulates the extent to which te- censorship can affect every single person's day to day lives. Because if you go, if you if you go see a doctor, most of that, and this is like, you know, Paul Thomas is one of the big guys in terms of vaccines. He wrote a book called The Vaccine Friendly Plan, where he basically broke down like, okay, these vaccines are are actually have scientific merit. These ones don't. These ones can work, but there's a caveat where if something happens during the administration, you pull back the next dose to give the child space to kind of recover from that, you know, toxin which is being done for their benefit at least in theory. And so he puts a there's a lot of nuance in the way that he essentially takes the CDC vaccine schedule and throws certain things out that have zero merit, keeps certain things in and puts an asterisk beside certain ones so that there's actually a uh, an a knowledgeable discussion around the topic of vaccines instead of just you're in this camp or this camp. And one thing he said is that when you're in medical school, the only perspective that you hear is that vaccines are safe, they're effective, and parents who don't give their kids vaccines are reckless and putting their children in danger. That is the programming that you are given. You are not given anything related to the fact that every vaccine carries a risk, which is true. doesn't mean they're all bad, but they all carry a risk. And if doctors aren't even informed about the risks, and if the access to the information to discover the risks is really hard to get, because companies making billions of dollars from these vaccines make it hard to get, 
then that needs to be talked about. And so when a doctor asks for, gives you, is trying to get your informed consent, but they are misinformed. That's not informed consent. That is essentially engineered information to create a one-sided perspective. Right. So like censorship happens on so many different levels. And, you know, the analogy that I'm thinking that, that I've kind of heard several times from people who I really value the quality of the thinking is that medicine is not a science. It is a religion, right? You have God, which is medical, the institution of medicine. You have the priests, which are doctors, right? Only priests can get direct information from God and you can't question God. And you can't even question the priests because they learn from God. What people don't realize is that there's this behemoth that's influencing God in a very significant way in how he teaches the priests and in how the priests relay that information to the people. So the priests here are doing things that aren't in the best interest of the people, but they are not responsible for the, they're not trying to do that. They're just as overwhelmed as everyone else. God thinks it's doing a good job, but it doesn't, it's blind to its own influence from the behemoth. And that's the behemoth is pharma. Yeah. Yeah, like, like that, and that's, that's indoctrination, right? Exactly. It's indoctrination. Indoctrination is... Indoctrination. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's the big, that's the big thing is indoctrination and propaganda and censorship are tools for indoctrination. Right. And it's like, you say that and it reminds me of why I hated school. Um, mm-hmm. And I've, I've, I've talked to you about this before, but my, my hardest thing at Western was taking economics they only taught Keynesian economics. Mm-hmm. Like they only taught government intervention economics, the, the marriage between state and economy economics. Which is just one side of the coin. Which is one side of the coin. So I took economics for four years. I kept all of my textbooks. Not one of my textbooks says anything about laissez-faire free market economics. Mm. Not one textbook. Right. All my classes. I took a course called Comparative Economic Systems. <laughs> This book does not mention laissez-faire economics, the Austrian school, the Chicago school. It doesn't mention anything about separation of state and economy, of what actual capitalism is. So we have this entire university and many other universities around the world and people coming out of university saying capitalism has failed. Mm -hmm. And anyone who studied Austrian economics or capitalism or freedom like really looks at it deeply understands that if the state and the economy are married that is socialist capitalism that's Mm -hmm. state-run capitalism it's not true capitalism it's not capitalism so that's what like the crony capitalism the crony comes from the state being involved Mm. like every aspect of capitalism that is wrong where something bad happens is because there's a politician involved right Right. That like lobbying in itself, the fact that lobbying exists (laughs) and like it's it's just something we've all accepted because it's been indoctrinated into us. Mm -hmm. It's been indoctrinated that this is how the government works. And there are these people, they're called lobbyists and they take money and they work for big corporations and they try to push those corporate interests onto. Right. uh, Everyone knows the story on the politicians. But it's like, yeah, it's like, guys, what? Why, why are we stuck within this indoctrinated uh, box? Right? Well, it's because we've created rules for a game. And everyone is trying to play the game as best they can. And playing the game well might mean doing things in the best interest of humanity and of the populace. But if you're just trying to play the game as, as best as you can, 
and you never ever question the rules of the games that of the game that you're playing within then you will never be allowed to actually achieve full effectiveness because you automatically have a set of constraints and until you question the rules you're always going to end up with a slight permutation of the exact same result until we actually say well lobbying is messed up because it gives a power inequality to people with money at the expense of the populace until we reevaluate that and and make and change the rules basically saying that that is no longer acceptable because it's it's essentially corrupting our system is really what it is right corruption is a harsh word but that's really what it is money is determining decisions being made instead of the best interests of the people who those decisions are being made for yeah so we need to change the rules we need to change and and one of the interesting things one of the things that always pops into my mind whenever i hear people talking about lobbying and corruption is right now in the united states there's a president who didn't put and let anyone in his pocket he's a billionaire already <laughs> he didn't let anyone in his pocket yeah which is kind of cool <laughs> and now we're looking and we're looking at a media that is always propagandizing and censoring him mm-hmm. i'm not saying we can get into it later i'm not saying i think trump is the best president ever i'm not saying that right but i am definitely noting no one is in his pocket and the entire media system seems to be against him right so there's something interesting about that i agree there's something very interesting about that and he says some goofy shit but guess what the fact that he's allowed to set to say that stuff <laughs> there's some merit there yeah the fact that he can say whatever he wants on twitter and he says some silly stuff like okay look at it independently of what he's saying and the fact that he can uncensored communicate with the world there's something very authentic about that regardless of whether you think it's what he's saying is good or bad yeah, like his, his Twitter, the thing that he did that no other leader in the world has really done is he's really like mobilized Twitter. Uh, <laughs> and it's maybe mobile, mobilized Twitter isn't the word to do it, is he, he's like you're saying, he's, he's made it direct. Yeah, he has a pipeline to, the, to humans. Yeah, and th- that's one of the coolest things because like this is, this is, these are his words. This yeah, is it's unfiltered. <laughs> it's, it's beautiful. It's awesome. I think that is so cool. I want to get back to something you said about, you were talking when we were talking about indoctrination, the the religion of medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was that most people, a lot of, a lot of these actors don't realize um, that maybe what they're doing is harmful and they believe that they are being honest and truthful and objective in everything they do. And that's what, that's the, the goal of indoctrination is right. to not tell people what to think, but to teach them how to think in a way that you want them to. And play to their better natures. Yeah. Another so, thing. And one of the things that that I find fascinating and it's grown a lot in the last decade is anti-concepts. And anti-concepts, so like, well, Jay, what the hell are anti-concepts? Right. That's a weird I would word. like to know. That so is. like, well, we have concepts. We all know a concept. Like any word is a concept, right? right? And when we define words, we define them by their essentials, by things that make them stand out from other things, mm-hmm. right? Like if I define a table versus a chair, like we'll know the difference, but like a table could be something you rest stuff on, whereas a chair is something you sit on. Right. Right. Like there's certain essential things that make it a chair versus make it a table. So an anti-concept is something that has non-essentials to create approximations around things, which muddy the waters. Mm. And sometimes this muddying of the water creates ambiguity. Yeah, it creates ambiguity and it's used to, it can be, sometimes it's used to just outright dismiss things. Like calling someone a conspiracy theorist just dismisses what they're saying. Right. Right. It doesn't actually challenge it on the merits. Mm -hmm. So it's lazy. 
Yeah, so like I want to give like the example of say like justice. Okay? Justice. That's a concept mm-hmm. that we can all get around. Justice, like something that is in, a lo- in line with morality, in line with truth, balance, etc. We can think of justice like that. Mm-hmm. Now let's throw the word social in front of it. Social justice. Social justice. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's an anti-concept. So how what does social justice mean? It's just like one would think that it's justice applied to the realm of of the social realm. The social realm, society. <laughs> one would think. But yeah, like but it's like yeah, like uh, I don't know, the greater good, like okay, well what's the greater good? Right. Like it's an approximation that we can't define and we can't necessarily draw lines around. Mm. But when we say social justice, we're doing something very big. We are obliterating Well, you're prioritizing the social realm. In the language we're, over we're justice. Al- yeah, yeah, it's like we're almost saying justice isn't enough. Yeah, it's the reason it's said first. <laughs> yeah, but justice is enough. Like justice right, is good. Right. right? And so we throw this word social in front of it, and then all of a sudden we just we've we've obliterated justice. So mm-hmm. you and I had this conversation, and I say, Well, that was a good outcome because it achieved justice. Mm-hmm. And then you say, But Jay, it didn't achieve social justice. Right. And it's like, and I'm looking like, what does that mean? Right. What, what does that mean? Right. But that word is used like that and it takes priority over justice now. Mm. So that anti-concept has just destroyed reason. It has destroyed aspects of reason and the quest for truth. And we all accept that word. Right. We accept it. it it's a normal word yeah. that we don't. Our even, prime minister uses that word. Yeah, exactly. That's the problem. Well, yeah. Or like, or like another one, like, well, when you said, anti-concept i instantly thought anti-racism mainly because it's literally an anti and a concept but that's a there's so many slippery things that have been that have slid into common culture like for example i say jay are you an anti-racist you say well i've researched it and i don't agree with everything that says so i i'm i i am i am not for racism i am against racism but you've used that word, kind of like Black Lives Matter, to package a bunch of things under that. So I said, Jerry, are you anti-racist? You say, no, I'm not anti-racist. Oh, that means you're racist. Because if you're not anti-racist, you must be the opposite. So like things like that are so sneaky. And no one really unpacks like how sneaky those things have become. Right? Like, it, it, like being an anti-racist basically says everyone's a racist until you prove to me otherwise. And guess what? You're never going to prove it to me because if you're not black, you're racist. Which is insane. Which is insanity. And yet it's, it is accepted and is actually used as a badge of honor to try, to try and take us through our better notions, right? Everyone thinks racism is bad. So anti-racism must be good. And people use it as a badge of honor saying that I am being a good human. I'm being an anti-racist. I'm, this is a noble cause. I want to be part of this. And then the people who actually have unpacked that and seen the sneakiness of it say, well, it's, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's have a conversation about this. And then the person says, well, there's no conversation to be had. Are you racist? Why wouldn't you be like, it's so goofy and it's so lazy. And unless, until we like are on the same wavelength that we need to be able to have unemotional discussions to actually like see some sneaky things that most many people might not be realizing. Like, anyway, that one just came to mind because that's literally anti and then a concept. And you've created a camp through a word that means something in the English language that is different from the concept that you've packaged under that word. And it's super, super sneaky. It's scary. It's scary. Yeah. Like we can say like, so for example, uh, a different one isn't necessarily where you like take another, like a, 
a descriptor and put it in front of the noun. Right. It's, it can just be changing the definition of something and using it a particular way. So extremist, mm-hmm. he's an extremist. That's a, ne- that has negative con- connotations in our society, right? For now. sure. You ask me, I'm an extremist for the fucking truth. Me too. You know what I mean? like, <laughs> That's true. Like I am a truth extremist. Yeah. Right. doesn't mean I'm always right, but it means I will always bow down to the truth. It means you don't if, compromise. If you show me a different fact and it, everything makes sense and we can draw a different reasonable conclusion, I am more than willing to change my position Right. because I always want the truth. That's mm-hmm. it. The truth, the truth connects to everything. Every, or all truths connect. I always want to have one big closed system of truth. Right. So extremist. Like it's crazy to me. It's crazy that someone can call someone an extremist and it has negative connotations. So the news might look at all these people who are fighting against Antifa mm-hmm. and say someone's fighting against Antifa and they're standing up for themselves. They're pro freedom. They're pro Trump mm-hmm. extremists. I mean, I would also consider Antifa extremists. So it's Absolutely. like, it's no longer a neutral word. It's been adopted as a negative connotation. Yeah. Okay. Let's, let's get into, let's get into something really interesting right now. Okay. Sorry. We're taking this political. This I thought we were going to talk about COVID, it's okay. but we're talking about indoctrination. Let's be real. COVID's political as shit. So yeah. we're on the right so, topic. So we're talking about indoctrination. Okay. Antifa. Okay. So this is Antifa. This is good. I don't know much about this. So. Stupid. Like <laughs> anti-fascist. Okay. okay. So that's what it stands for. Anti-fascist. What is fascist? anti-fascist okay so right now like basically you're hyped up about this i can tell pissed off and it's it's something that so this is this is a paradigm that we are all stuck in because it's all they teach in school and so we've all been indoctrinated to it and whenever i try to have conversations with people whether we're talking about antifa or politics we're all stuck in this left right dichotomy right right everything's left right you know like republicans on the right democrats on the left package deal yeah, it's just this one big box that we're all stuck into. Yep. Okay. So Antifa is far left, far, far, far left. Okay. Right? And fascist, Nazis, far, far, far right. Okay. Okay. Can so, you unpack fascism, your definition? Uh, that's the thing. My, my definitions of fascism and communism are pretty much, pretty much going to be the same thing. Okay, I'm, so, I'm just looking it up. Quick glance. This is not, this is just like literally Google search, which as we just said, might not be the best thing, but an authoritarian and nationalistic right-wing system of government and social organization. So authoritarian and nationalistic right-wing system of government and social organization. So that gives you at least something to work with. Yeah, so that's even stuck in the paradigm though. Because, right. because it says, <laughs> because it, it says, because, well, it says right-wing. Right. So, so this is the point I want to make. Okay, so we, we say right and left. And on the, the left, we have communists. And on the right, we have fascists. Okay. Mm-hmm. So they're both highly authoritative. Mm-hmm. Okay. They're both highly collective, right? As in the greater good. They're all about the greater good. Fasc- right. Fascism is going to say nationalism. Communism, depending on, you know, how far communism you're talking about, it, it's some, some say it's an international movement, mm-hmm. you know, a stateless society, the withering away of the states. Depends which book you're reading. Right. But they're ultimately authoritarian. And the only real difference between fascism and communism, authoritarian meaning they are telling you what to do. The state, let's, the state. let's say okay, statism. Okay. Okay? okay. So the only, they both are big state. Like there are leaders and they tell you what to do mm-hmm. and you're told to do it based on the greater good of society. Right. The only real difference between fascism and communism is fascism is said to be a dictator. 
mm-hmm. whereas communism is said to be the party, the people, the party that represents the people. Okay. And private property belongs in fascism, still belongs, still exists, and it belongs to the people, whereas in communism, all of the people, the entity, the people, mm-hmm. sorry, I just said people twice there, but That's okay. in fascism, individuals, there's private private property, and then in communism, it's all public property. Okay. Okay. But under fascism, there's so much authority that they tell people what to do with their property. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So and, then, and then under communism, like, sure, it's a party, but there's always a leader of the party. Right. Right. And there's someone determining what you're allowed and not allowed to yeah, do so, or have. So they're, they're ultimately pretty much the same thing. Like people forget that the National Socialist Party, the Nazis, mm-hmm. National Socialist, Socialist, Communist. Interesting. Same thing. Right. So it's really like a circle that kind of connects. It's not left and right. It's yeah. It's like you're selling the same thing in different ways. Right. And they're all about collectivism and the great, like the greater good of the people, et cetera. Which those are noble things. So (laughs) they sound noble. Okay. They sound noble. Yep. So let's picture a cross now. So instead of left and right, let's picture a cross. So you draw, you draw a cross and on the vertical axis at the bottom, you're going to write, uh, at the bottom, you're you're gonna write uh, stateless, stateless, stateless or anarchy. Okay, okay, and at the top, you're gonna write statism, authoritarianism, full control, full control. Okay, so okay. That, those are the two extremes, and on the left, collectivism, and on the right, individualism. Okay, okay, so individualism mean meaning maximizing the rights of the individuals. Mm-hmm. We'll be more specific, negative rights or natural rights. And on the, on the left, we're talking about collect, collectivism, maximizing positive rights, security, mm-hmm. giving people free this, free that, you know, they don't have to worry about anything. So now we've looked at this. So we have stateless, stateless and statism. Okay. Mm-hmm. If we were to take say Antifa, okay, we would put them up here, like their desires, top left corner. Okay. If we were to take fascism, which is collectivism and statism. Yes. Okay. High collect highest collectivism, highest statism. That's Antifa, that's communism, that's Marxism. Okay. Okay. If we were to take uh statism, sorry, if we were to take look for fascism, fascism still going to be the highest extreme of statism and then just a little bit less collectivism. We could, it could it could argue it anywhere here, but the ultimate thing is guys, it's going to be uh all the way to the top, and then it's going to be around the center, center left um, for collectivism. Hmm. The only thing that's different is there's technically private property. But if you're in Nazi Germany, Hitler could tell you, like, okay, you own this factory, you're going to build tanks for me. Right. Done. So you have the property, but you're not allowed to choose what you do with it. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. So so that, that's that's the, the paradigm shift here. So let's, yeah, I would have thought Antifa would have been the polar opposite of fascism. That's what most people think, right? Hmm. That's what okay. most people think. And that's yeah. why that's why uh, Churchill is given the quote of saying, like, anti-fascists, in the future, anti-fascists will come in the form of fascists. Because hmm. like, you look at what Antifa does. They're pretty closed dots right there. <laughs> and you look, at every, you look at everything they do and how they treat people with violence and force. Like, they, they don't, they're not reason. Right. And anti-fascist would be a person who wants rational discourse and mm-hmm. doesn't turn to violence. Mm. Right. But, but, but like, let's, let's take this paradigm because we're all indoctrinated to it and elections are coming up. So we have, 
we have communism and fascism is being very close right now, according to this quadrants, the political quadrants mm-hmm. uh, graph here. Now let, let's think about let's think about the Democrats and the Republicans right now. Okay, okay. the Democrats are like very cl- they're very hard left on uh, t- they're very much towards collectivism and they're very strong towards statism. Is this where left and right actually comes from? No, this is okay. this is a different box. Okay, okay. This right. is get out of that box and start thinking differently. So right. let's not think left and right. Let's think of these political quadrants and let's take let's take these notions of collectivism versus individualism and authoritarianism versus anarchy and let's let's think of it this way. Because right now no matter what you have big government no matter mm-hmm. what, the Republicans, mm-hmm. like it doesn't matter if you're talking about Donald Trump or Joe Biden, there's big government. Right. The only difference is Donald Trump supports the Constitution a little bit more. So he's more into individualism. So Donald Trump would be like in the center between uh, collectivism and individualism, but he would probably be about halfway, halfway between the center and authoritarianism, statism. Okay. Right? Whereas the Democrats would be, you know, kind of upper upper left quadrant closer to communism what they want to do pushing the green new deal etc okay so if we look at this now knowing that basically the republicans and democrats are in the up the upper left quadrant pretty much like the republicans are just on the outskirts of it but we're up here now think of a person whose moral advocacy is to say i'm centrist mm-hmm. like i have people who call themselves centrist i'm like you're a leftist you know what I mean? Like you're, you're collectivist, you're authoritarianism. Like, what are you talking about? You're a centrist. Centrist is like some, like to me, whenever anyone says that they're a centrist, it's kind of like saying you're, you're immoral, you're amoral. You're, mm. you're sitting on a fence. You refuse to make a decision. Right. Right. And we have to understand that. And by, by saying you refuse to make a decision, you're making a decision. Exactly. Yes, yes, yes. Um, you're refusing to, you're refusing to make a decision on what you think is right or wrong. And instead you're just saying compromise is better. Right. Right. And the thing that we have to understand is that a compromise between good and evil, only evil profits. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I'm going to repeat that in a compromise between good and evil, only evil profits. Right. Good is good. Anything else is evil. Right. Mm. Right. So if we're thinking about these, these spectrums, now let's take that to democracy. Well, what I find interesting here is probably everyone has a different, graph in their mind right Right. it's probably much more like single planar instead of more of a matrix but like all the dots you drew you just got very different things different ends of the spectrum you know anti-fascist versus fascism all those dots are in the same are in 25 percent of that matrix that's what i mean that's the box we're in so we don't even have an awareness that there are other possibilities and so we can never actually execute other options because we they're not even they're not even on the menu. Exactly. Interesting. Exactly. So that's okay. what I mean by we've been indoctrinated, right? Right. So we're indoctrinated into this box, this upper left box, instead of the box containing all quadrants. Mm. We have to remember that the that's bottom, powerful. the bottom right quadrant is where the Republicans started. Hmm. Like the Repu- like the Constitution is about minimal, limited government, mm-hmm. right? So they, they used to be down here, and then every law, every policy, every little bit the government grows, it becomes more and more authoritarian. Mm-hmm. Like and it could be little things like, like having to get your driver's license sticker every day is one little more thing that we have to do that gives the government power over us. Right. 
right? It's such a small thing, whatever, Jay, it's not a big deal. Just go pay your hundred bucks. And yeah, it's just a math. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but the point is that that is one little more thing that infringes on our rights and makes the right. government bigger and stronger and has more power over us. And by agreeing so, with that one thing, you're more likely to agree with the other things because you've already decided you've personally already decided. that I will accept that. And, I'm, and I want to focus on this a lot because like the indoctrination aspect of it. So we've shown, we've shown that like the Republicans, you know, a hundred years ago are very different than the Republicans now. And they're all in the top left quadrant. Now let's realize that we have a democratic society and people vote between the Democrats and the Republicans who are only in the upper left quadrant. Hmm. And it's always going to end up going more and more to the left. Hmm. It's always going to end up going this way because it's always going to be a compromise. Right. The Democrats weren't this far left either. Like if you look at the if you look at the Democrats in like the '90s, like Bill Clinton or even Barack Obama, not as far ago, they weren't saying the things that they're saying now. Right now, they're pushing for universal basic incomes. Like this is getting ins- like that's that's Marxism, right? Right. So, so they keep going more and more to the left. The Republicans keep going more and more to the left, right? And we're voting for it. <laughs> We have to vote within these two. You can only pick one or two. Right. So let's imagine that we're trying to be healthy. Well, it's funny because the more the Republicans go to the left of that graph, the more the Democrats have to go further left to create a, a, a paradigm where there's a decision to be made. Right. Or else they're just the same. Exactly. So they have to separate themselves more, which means they get pushed more to the extreme side of that spectrum because they have no other choice exactly. to differentiate themselves. And a compromise <laughs> between good and evil is evil, right? So, cause we keep moving. So we keep voting more and more here. So this is what Friedrich Hayek, he's an Austrian economist. He referred to it as the road to serfdom. Okay. It's the road to slavery. It, it constantly democracy ultimately ends in socialism, communism. Hmm. It ultimately goes there. And this is what he was referring to was this. He, I wish he would have drawn this graph out and showed it. I'll make, I should probably make a video on this, but he should have done this because then when people saw it 50 years ago, they'd start seeing this now. Yeah. And they would have a template to make sense of it. And like to, to, to make more sense to everyone out there, let, let's imagine right now we're trying to be healthy. We're trying to eat healthy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So you have two choices and W or McDonald's. Right. Well, yeah. That's a good analogy. And W's got grass fed beef. There's no steroids in the food. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, free run chicken, all blah, 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 blah versus McDonald's. Right. Okay. Well, McDonald's suck and A&W sounds pretty good. Yeah, it sounds way better you know? than McDonald's. Yeah. They must be the best option. Exactly. But <laughs> the bottom line is it's fast food, right? right. It, the bottom line is still fast food. It's still garbage. Right. Right. And that is the state of politics right now. And that is because everyone is stuck in this paradigm of left and right. And they don't even realize it because we have been indoctrinated to it. Right. It is indo- that is indoctrination. If there's any example of indoctrination that I'd like people out there to, to realize is go look up the political quadrants. Go look these up and then realize that we are operating in the upper left only. We, there's a whole th- yeah. system of thought that we are not even talking about. Like, well, you're giving people the illusion of choice, but you're, you're curating the choices available to them. Yes. So it's a, it's a complete illusion. And it, this is so funny that we're talking about this because yesterday... One of the foot nerds, um, Jeff Schub, gave me a video about this thing called possibility management, which is all about the fact that we have, you know, there's software, there's hardware, and then there's something that this group calls thoughtware, where it is the box within which all of your thoughts that you've been programmed with fit within. 
And so you don't even know what else is out there because you're simply running the thoughtware that was downloaded to you by your parents, which was downloaded to, to them by their parents. And no school systems help you expand thoughtware, right? They, they simply give you software to upload within your current, th- current thoughtware. And I just found it so, uh, you know, I won't go too deep into that because I just started learning about it yesterday. But basically what the guy says is you cannot explore possibilities that are not even within your awareness. I love that. That is, it was so profound when I listened to it because it is, it is so true that we only operate within the constraints of what we've been exposed to or the way we're currently thinking, right? People tell us what to think, but they don't actually help us identify how, what frameworks are we using to dictate our thinking. And it was really powerful because you just illustrated the fact that it's the illusion of choice. You are being given a choice. NW or McDonald's is a choice. And you can spin that however you want to make it look like those choices are very different and that you have a choice to make. But if both those choices are within one basket among 100 baskets, do you really have choice? You don't really have choice. It's, it's, it's quite scary. And um, it just reminded me of uh, South Park. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Those guys are geniuses. Okay, there's so much depth to that show. Well, Which part the, is South Park? The turd, the turd sandwich and the douchebag. <laughs> <laughs> Please explain. I don't, I don't know that. They're doing elections for the school mascot. Okay. And their only choices are a douche or a turd sandwich. <laughs> and so the whole thing's like, what? Like, this This is stupid. We only have a choice between a turd and a douche sandwich. <laughs> and the whole thing's about that. And I think it was, I, I can't remember which election it was around. I want to say it was around uh, maybe maybe the, the last Trump election was when it came out. Or it might have been one of Obama's. Those guys push limits. I love um, And they're Canadian too. Kudos. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but the, the quadrants, I want to run at home to really look at those quadrants because th- this is something that, and th- this is what the book that I'm trying to write is... Uh, that I'm writing is trying to highlight is, is the foundations for our political conversations have to be built around reality and reason, not, and we have to look beyond what we've been indoctrinated for. So I just mm-hmm. try to touch points on lots of little things that may change how people think about stuff because we've been indoctrinated and don't realize it. Right. And whether it's talking about like these different anti-concepts or um, like d- various aspects of censorship, like we're not aware of it. And that's the hardest thing is that we are not aware of it. Like we don't know what we don't know. Right. Right. And I love that. And we have to want to seek to know. This is another difference. It's, it's comfortable to only know what you currently know. And like one of the things that one of these concepts playing around my head are, is the, the discomfort of not knowing. So if you have a solid, okay. So I think in possibility management, they call it the fluid state where you're in a solid state you, under, you feel like you have a good perspective of the world and a good understanding, which makes you comfortable because you're like, I understand what's up. And then you get given a piece of information that essentially <laughs> fragments your current understanding and puts you in a liquid state where you're in between. You're like a hermit crab going from, from a safe shell to all of a sudden you're naked without protection and it's really uncomfortable. It makes you really nervous. You have two options. The first centimeter you get away from your shell, you run back to your current shell, which is the easy, the path of least resistance is to stay in your current shell. The difficult path is to search for a different shell. And along the way, you're essentially trying to take an information to go from this state of not knowing because your current state of knowing just got destroyed by some new facts. And you can either brush those facts off and stick with your current state, or you can incorporate those, put in work, go through this vulnerable period where you don't actually have a good grasp of reality, which makes it, which can be anxiety provoking. But once you do the work, you then create a better shell. 
which has taken into account your previous shell and everything you just learned to create a more rigid, strong shell of what reality looks like. And the discomfort of being in that liquid state, I think, deters people from exploring and trying to seek that better understanding. A, because it's more work, like we talked about. People's bandwidth right now is probably redlined. But I think there's something there where at, at the deep code level, people have to be more uncomfortable in the not knowing state. Like I embrace just, try, I actually try and seek that state out. And, but I think it's easy to never look that direction. And people have to just want People have to know that it's so important to try and contribute to our collective sense-making that you need to be comfortable in that not knowing state. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if you know, if you've ever seen it, but I'll just show you. I have, so I have a tattoo on my inner arm of Tiananmen Square Tank Man. Okay. Right. So. And everyone's seen that picture, but I, I. Tiananmen Square Tank Man. That was, that was my first. (laughs) It comes into like focus when you flex your bicep. I love that. (laughs) Yeah, so, I, so everyone doesn't know, like, I have a, bu- a bunch of tanks on my bicep, and then there's a man standing in front of them, stopping them from moving forward. That's a great tattoo. And uh, that's, that's Tiananmen Square Tank Man. You can look that up if you've never seen it. It was in 1989 and during the Tiananmen Square Massacre. Um, but the reason and I what got is, that... What meaning... Yeah, okay. So I the reason just... I got that, it, it is the ultimate defiance and the willingness to stand up for what you believe is right. Mm-hmm. And I think that, like, when you said all of that, the thing that popped into my mind is... For a lot of people, the truth hurts. Mm-hmm. It hurts. And it, of course, there are times when it does hurt. Like if my partner tells me she doesn't love me anymore, that would hurt. Right? right? Like obviously the, the truth hurts. But we also have this other aspect where vulnerability is weakness or we feel that we are weak. Um, we are too weak to handle being vulnerable. And, and fear, I would put fear in there too. Because if you have fear, people think, oh, you're weak. Why are you scared? Yeah, and, and I've always had this attitude that you better stand up for what you believe is right. I've watched too many movies growing up. Like I started off watching Conan and all this Bruce Lee and all this stuff where it's always one guy fighting against a ton of people. It's in my brain. Right. It's, it's done. Yeah, like it's I, a story. I can't not speak up for the truth. I can't. And no amount of people will ever scare me from standing alone. Right. I will be the last man standing no matter what. I don't care. It's the truth. And a lot of people... One thing that I realize is that nothing can hurt you. Like no words can hurt you. Right. It can't hurt. Like vulnerability, being able to be vulnerable is strong. I agree. Like there's nothing more strong. Like I feel invincible in conversations. And it's such a paradox for a lot of people when they hear that. But I, that is so profound. Like I've never walked into the conversation being scared that it will hurt me or scared of conversation. I'm ner- I might be nervous of the outcome, right. you know, like let's say I want a particular outcome and trying to close a business deal or whatever. I want a certain thing and that makes me nervous and I might have some little bit of anxiety going into there, like, you know, but I'm never going to get hurt. I'm never going to walk away scathed. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, and I, I, th- I you know, don't have anything for people to take from you. Exactly. It's like, I'm still me. Mm-hmm. Like no matter what you say, you can't fuck with who I am. Right. Like period. And it's, it's, it's a very sad thing that a lot of people haven't come to this realization, mm-hmm. right? When we are having a conversation, when we're exploring for the truth, it has nothing to do with you or me. Because you don't identify with the perspective you're coming from. If, if what I say is wrong, it doesn't mean anything. The mm-hmm. only thing that you could do that would really flip my lid and make me go crazy if we were having a debate is if you proved reality wasn't real. <laughs> then everything I friggin' know would just explode. If you took a soccer ball and just kicked it through this wall, right. and it just came out the other side and I heard it hit 
the yeah. wall in the other room. Then I'd be like, and then I went and knocked on the wall. <laughs> then I would be like, oh my God. And then I'd start freaking out and I'd be like, what does this mean? Nothing I know. This, my whole system. I got to start fun. over. Yeah. Like then, then I, then I'm out of the shell and then I feel vulnerable and then I'm going to, I'll probably go crazy. I don't know what to do. Right. But aside from that, there is absolutely nothing that can hurt. Like it might make me, might shatter my ego for two seconds if there's something that i was yelling about that mm -hmm. i thought i was right about and they're like well da, da, da. I'm like, oh dang it you know it like, might make you uncomfortable yeah but at the end of the day it's no different than looking at a math equation and here's a step where you went wrong so two plus x equals four x equals two it, it's it's no different than that and, right and i wish that more people would embrace that that attitude or, or understanding that words can't hurt you mm-hmm they can't, they can't hurt you. Like how you treat them can hurt you and what happens in the real world can hurt you, but the words themselves cannot hurt you. And these conversations are the most important thing right now in the world for everything that is happening. Like the best thing that we can do is have these important conversations and come to the truth and get into that free flowing cycle of thought, you know, of mm -hmm. thinking, sharing it through free speech, refining it, spreading it. And then those conversations cycling over and over and spreading, you know, like the can one candle lights a hundred right. lights a million, etc. That that's the best thing that we can possibly do right now. And the second that people are scared to come out of that shell because they're so attached to something that they've been told some indoctrination that they've had that they're now holding a conviction for. And there's a package deal within that conviction that doesn't allow any rational conversation or any truth seeking. And then we're just stuck in this divisive causing families to fall apart, friendships to fall apart. The people who are indoctrinating people like this is what propagandists want, mm -hmm. right? Divide and conquer. That's what they want. The last thing they want is everyone to get together and have rational conversations. Right. And the people who are the most divisive and acting out the most and yelling and promoting the violence are the people who aren't willing to have rational conversations. And that stems from exactly what you're saying. I love that analogy of just not being able to come out of the shell. Right? Yeah, because when you think of a crab, like yeah, they're so vulnerable. That's when they get eaten, mm -hmm. right? So they need they need that shell. They're scared to let go. And and if you're going somewhere, if you're trying to get through a crack on the ocean floor, and the shell you currently have is too big to fit through there, you you either in order to proceed, you need to embark on this little miniature journey of vulnerability. There is no choice, or you stay there, and eventually you'll be left behind. And I think. I think the biggest thing is like, I love having conversations with people who are flexible thinkers, right? Like I can almost ask a couple poignant questions to determine, is this person rigid in their thinking, unwilling to entertain other perspectives or unable to hold multiple perspectives without actually having an opinion on it? Or is this person flexible? Are they willing to change their mind? Are they open to the fact that their reality and their truth may not be the actual reality, the objective truth? And when you have conversations with those people, you learn immense amounts about how to have better conversations, but you also learn that we are all hackable. You are hackable. I am hackable. I get hacked all the time by social media. I've just gotten better at recognizing when that happens and knowing that it's difficult. I literally did a week straight of like hardcore research on social media and how it pulls our, our innate triggers, our innate wiring. And like, even after that, even after all that understanding, I still get hacked. So I can just imagine 
Like it's such a conundrum, right? Because there's such big forces that are being done for the profit motive, but have this side effect of destroying our social fabric. And there's no, it makes me nervous because I don't even know a potential solution, right? I, that, that really, there is such a hunger for the money being driven by this thing, which is this cloud over all of us that is literally making us unable to be flexible in our thing. It's training inflexibility in thinking because it's curating our reality to reflect that that is dig your heels in. This is the truth. Everything you're getting exposed to is reinforcing that. But people don't realize that what you're the environment that's reinforcing that isn't actual reality. It is a curated subset of reality based on a profile created for you to capture your attention. And that's really messed up. It's, it's very messed up. It's, it's, <clears throat> but it, it makes everything make sense. That's the only closure I get from it is like, okay, this craziness going on right now makes a lot of sense when you understand what goes on under the hood. It's, it sucks in that it's like, that's a really hard problem to solve, but it also, it's like, okay, I understand why people are just getting super fired up and polarized because that's what is incentivized. Mm -hmm. So it makes, it gives me comfort knowing that, but it's still like problem that needs to be solved. I, I find it, uh, I find it frightening. Like it's just absolutely chilling down to the bone. Uh, if there's one thing that frightens me more than anything, it is this attack on truth. Uh, mm -hmm. there's so much information out there. There's so much censoring, so much propagandizing that seeking the truth is so difficult, whether it's, it's not just because of the information out there and how muddied the waters are. It's, it's the fatigue and it's the, it's also the, I don't know how sometimes mm -hmm. like, I, I don't know if what I'm looking at is the facts or not. Right. And the problem with can drive you nuts. The problem with the truth being under attack is that if the truth is under attack, then morality is under attack. And morality, talking like how we should live our lives mm -hmm. and how society ought to operate, that is under attack. Mm -hmm. And so what happens then is our mode of life is under attack. Um, like we use a word, like we are talking about anti-concepts before, and like I said, extremists. Well, another one is like radical. Mm -hmm. radical like, which a lot of people like those are almost synonymous i think for yeah a lot they're, they're kind of synonymous like we almost only hear i i really only hear radical pretty much when they're talking about like islamic militants. <laughs> i was just gonna say that um but sometimes people like it's a radical is kind of like a complete overhaul of the political mechanisms or political workings of a society like when someone wants to completely change it revolutionize it completely it's radical mm -hmm. and if we look at what's going on in the world right now it is radical mm -hmm. like like a year ago a year ago we wouldn't have to wear masks you know my, my grandfather's 91st birthday okay we're at my uncle's house we're outside we didn't sing him happy birthday mm. my, my uncle's wife said oh it's not recommended yeah Okay, that scared the crap out of me. He probably didn't blow out any candles either. Uh, no, the cake wasn't there. They just brought pieces of cake out. Interesting. So life has changed so, so much. We didn't. Okay, and it was because so and and this shook me. Like this shook me. It it actually rattled me. It made me very uncomfortable. There's maybe twelve, fifteen of us. We're in their backyard, big, beautiful backyard, and uh, September, and we're crowded around the table and cakes just start coming out. And then my uncle puts happy birthday on, on uh, the, 
Bluetooth player. Mm. And it's just like, happy birthday, Ed. Like this cool, it's like this cool one. You can put the name <laughs> in and the guy fills the name. So it's a funny song and everything like to put a, to think back, that part's funny, but I had this sense of despair because I was like, we're really not, it's like, it's a 91st birthday. Like that's huge. Like, mm. I don't think I'll live to be 91 years old. I can almost guarantee you I will not live what? to be 91 really? years old. I don't think so. And so that's huge. Like that's incredible. Yeah. That's an accomplishment, right? And we didn't sing him happy birthday. And I talked to my dad like a couple days later and I was like, what did you think of that? Because mm-hmm. it really scared me. And he, my dad's like a very practical kind of guy. And he's like, well, you know, like I did think it was a little weird, but it's not my place to say anything. It's their place. It's their right. house. So, right. you know, and that's kind of what I was thinking. Like, let's just keep it light. Yeah. But the bottom line is we didn't sing happy birthday. Like if right. there's any tradition that happens to every single person at least once a year, it's they get sung happy birthday. I agree. Right? So There's my grandfather has had someone sing happy birthday to him for 90 years, and now we're not. So that alone to me is radical. And yeah. it's because, oh, there's a study saying P's and B's put out way more aerosols than other things. It's like, well, I can <laughs> also study. show you a study that says the English language is worse than all other languages right. as far as putting aerosols out. So should should we have this podcast in French now? Yeah, we shouldn't right? be allowed to speak English anymore. Right? Clearly. Like, like where, where, where are you going to draw the line? Like, this is getting ridiculous. But that's that's extremely radical. Six feet, that's radical. Closing closing companies, closing businesses. That's radical. I closed my gym for good. Like putting masks on kids. That's a radical change to me. Putting masks on kids, changing like kids respond to smiles. How about facial recognition? Like there's so many radical things that are happening. And has anyone used the word radical? No. Has anyone said extreme? Yeah. If you're going against that narrative, you get deemed radical. Yes. And and that is such an opposite. Like like we are at a point in the world where things, things are changing. In a very, very scary way. Yeah, and the, I, like the biggest thing that alarms me is the rate of change. Is how quickly and how, how drastically things have changed in just a short period of time. Because if that happens, if you follow the curve and just extrapolate out a little bit with conservative estimations, it's like, what else is going to happen? We're not even allowed to sing happy birthday anymore. They slid that in and we accepted it, thinking that it's for the common good. And Why? And so what else are we going to allow slide? Because it is, it's very slippery. Exactly. Where do we draw the line? Why are we doing these things? Because everything you accept, it gets harder to not accept because it's, you know, this, this bias that we have to think that we're doing things the right way means that, well, if I go against it at, at stage five, then I just messed up stage one, two, three, and four. So it's, I'm just going to keep going along with it because I, I want to feel like I did things right. Yeah. I want to feel like I'm a good person. And, that, and that's what I wanted to get to. I wanted to get to, tr- I was talking about truth and morality. Mm-hmm. So once we accepted putting the masks on, we accepted the morality that is our duty because the masks, it never, it always showed that the masks don't stop us from getting sick. It's to stop other people from getting sick. Yeah. Right. Save your grandmother, put a mask on. Right. That is so it, So we accepted right there, the, pro- the positive, the positive law, the positive right that it is our duty to take care of other people. Mm-hmm. things that we do take care of other people right you know what happens in the future when they want ma- when they want to put vaccines into people you do it for other people you are no longer the owner of this you're no longer a sovereign individual right. individual you are a piece of property of the state mm-hmm. they want you to get vaccinated or else you're a problem for everyone else and they will use propaganda to ensure that the rest of the population shuns you for not doing that yes like so- i think the biggest I got to find this picture on my phone. Give me one sec. It was a picture that you posted and it said propaganda. 
And it was the most poignant thing I've ever seen because it was a blatant illustration of propaganda. And this was a bus stop sign um, that had people with masks. And I'm hoping I can find it real quick here. But basically, it, il- uh, it illustrated so potently how essentially we are being programmed to turn against each other to do the government's, to do what the government is saying is the right thing to do. I can't find it, but basically it was four pictures of different styles of different ways of wearing a mask. And one of them was a person with no mask. And what it said was, you do not care about other people. That was so disturbing to see. And that is on a bus stop, government-sponsored advertising in favor of masks, saying that if you see someone without a mask, they don't care about you. They're, they're literally trying to harm you. So we're like, governments are turning people against each other. People who are trying to show that there is a different way that you can approach reality. And they're literally being like cannibalized. It's so, that was so messed up. And like, so let's, let's dig into like propaganda and censorship a little bit more. So there's, we talked about private before, like companies, like me doing it, you doing it for your business. Like there's private censorship, private propagandizing. And is that bad? It's like, well... Who knows? There's like this line when things become monopolies or oligopolies that them kind of like propagandizing can be a very negative thing. Mm-hmm. But at the at the end of it all, like censorship, let's say I was saying some things that you didn't like and you're like, Jay, get out of my house. Right. This is your property. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely entitled to kick me out of your house. Like this is your place, right? right? So if this is your business, right? Like if I own YouTube and I don't like the things that you're saying, I think it's okay. It's going to sound weird, but in this regard, in this aspect of morality, I think it's okay for pe- for the owner of YouTube doesn't like people. He can say, "Get off my company, get away." Is it? I different, think it's okay. Is it different when what happens on YouTube determines the collective consciousness? So this is where I mean it gets different when we talk about oligopolies, okay, and, okay. Uh, and monopolies. It's like when you have that monopoly of information, that monopoly of people conglomerating together, coming together. If people don't have another option, basically. That, that's when it becomes a little bit iffy and there's a lot of different questions we need to ask. Like if the, if the fact checkers you're using are biased and they're not checking other facts that are clearly false, then you need to be held accountable. Right. Right. So, so, so there's a lot of different ways to go with that. But the point is there's private and there's public. Mm-hmm. And public is very different than private because... Public is supposed to be all of ours. Yeah, it's the commons. So when the government starts propagandizing, we really have to start looking out. Mm-hmm. That's we, a red flag. Yeah, we really have to start wondering what's going on. When the government starts censoring things, mm-hmm. we really have to wonder what's going on. Like, that's China, that's Nazi Germany. And we are we are already steps there. We are right. halfway there. More than halfway there, if you, ask, if you ask me on a lot of things. Canada's not looking too good. So public, private. But what happens is big tech has become, because they have become almost like this solid authority on things, mm-hmm. uh, like, like the, the ecosystem that Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook have, like they are as strong, if not stronger than a government body at this point. Right. So, so that, is, that is another huge, huge red flag for us to look out for. And do they have an allegiance to the government? Like, is the government, I don't know. Like, if, if the government basically is allowed to tell Facebook and Twitter and Instagram what to do, then are they even separate entities anymore? Are they? And, and are there investors? 
right? right? Like who, who paid for the fact checkers? Who, who, like if, if anyone were to ever look up like the Clinton Foundation, you would notice that the Clinton Foundation and the donors for the Clinton Foundation and all of these companies are very closely related. Uh, right. There's a lot of stuff going on with big pharma, with government employees and government experts that we listen to who are well invested into certain pharmaceutical companies. Or who are offered um, jobs as soon as they quit the government, high paying jobs in pharma. Yeah, and people who are who are experts that own a lot, like whether you're talking about Bill Gates uh, owning it or Google, because mm-hmm. Google has a pharmaceutical company. So there's certain companies that it is in their interest for certain things to happen. I mean, we look at all these big tech companies, how much more money have they made during this pandemic? They in, want the, insane amounts. They want the pandemic to keep going. They're, they're getting richer and richer. Right. And if they're only, and even if they don't want suffering, if they're all they're doing is optimizing for profits, they're automatically going to incentivize more of this just by virtue of like profit, like this situation equals more profits. If we are not trying to make the situation worse, but we prioritize the, the optimizing of profits, they're going to do that. Yeah. And, and ironically, a lot of them, will support very left-leaning political campaigns like the hard left. And they will also complain, a lot of the people on the hard left will complain about the growing gap between the rich and the poor. And nothing has made this gap larger than this pandemic. Mm -hmm. Nothing. Not like the poor are getting poor. Yeah, it fast-tracked it. Yeah. uh, It's just the, the complete obliteration of the middle class. So to finish this, I'd love to do a thought experiment. And, you know, I, I had to look up the definition of thought experiment because I was like, I, I hopefully I've been using this in the right context, but it's basically considering a hypothesis or a plan of action for the purpose of just thinking through its consequences as a hypothetical. So Justin Trudeau comes to your home tomorrow and says, Jay, you seem like you're well-informed. You have full control over how we deal with the pandemic from today forward. As a thought experiment, where do we start to sort of solve this mess? What are what are the we don't have to get too nitty gritty, but in my head, I've kind of thought about like what would what would I be really happy to see if our government did if if they just came out and said, "Listen, we've been messing this up. We haven't been being objective. We want to write this. We want to involve all Canadians in making sure that Canada is an independent, sovereign nation that is going to do our own thing." Where do we go? What do we do? Like, how do we even get started? Because it's like we're in a deep cave, but we got to start building a ladder at some point. So, you know, as an experiment, as a thought experiment, where would you start? What do you what do you see as the biggest low hanging fruits to sort of right the ship? So the very, the very, very first thing I would say is, Justin, I really don't like you, <laughs> but I am flattered that you're open minded to hearing my opinion. And I have to say, I'm not a doctor or a scientist or an expert in this field in any way. Which I don't think you need to be because you can access those people. But the, the person driving the ship needs to be able to, to have a very important character, which is everything we've been talking about, is adopting a flexible way of thinking, using critical thinking, and being a vehement advocate of the truth. Because then you can find the right people who are experts in their area to help you determine the truth, right? And, and leverage their collective wisdom, put them in circles, get them talking, get, get the farmer, get a farmer from, from Ottawa to come as well and say, give us your perspective from your, you know, like you have to organize it, but like, how do you even, how do you start? Yeah. I, and I would always start with everything revolves around truth. So I would always start with education. 
I would say the first thing that we need to do is let people know what the real situation is around yes. around the country in their small local region each. So yep. not just not even just the city of Ottawa. I would so I would want people to know everything about every person who has had a serious a severe case of COVID. Right. And not not their name, but like right. you know, uh age, where they think they caught it. Mm-hmm. Um what is their status? What is their health status? Yeah, what is their health status? Uh but but really just where they think they caught it, when they think they caught it, how long the person have been sick for, how long the symptoms have been for. I am amazed, amazed at how I can't find any information on long-term consequences of getting COVID. Right. I can't find any. I've heard so many people say, oh, there are long-term consequences. It messes up your lungs. And I believe it. Like I've seen, I've seen some people talk about it where some long-term damage is done to your lungs. Um, one of my, one of my doc, one of my doctors, one of my clients is a doctor and he gave me uh, the password to go into one of his uh, conferences. It was an international conference for athletes, how to handle uh, the COVID situation for their athletes. Hmm. And what they're finding is a lot of guys, they had some guys who had tested positive for COVID, zero symptoms, but then they later realized that they were having small, uh, small attacks, small ischemic hmm. heart attacks. And, wow. uh, because little thing like the inflammation, right? So, and he's like, athletes push hard. They don't realize it, and then they're they're doing more damage before they let things heal. Interesting. Um, but there's no studies. There aren't really any studies out there talking about it. They should be following people mm-hmm. who have been who have had severe cases and seeing what the long term effects are. Right. But the main thing is there needs to be education around it. We need to know exactly what is going on at a local level so we know how dangerous it is out there. Yeah. Right. Like like obviously like cases are interesting and everything, but. The first things I would do are education and showing the, the stats in a proper way. I would get like Thomas Sowell or someone who really understands. True stats. Yeah, someone uh, who understands yeah. stats to really break it down in an informative way that people can work with so they know the consequences of going outside. Right. And then with people. Informed risk informed evaluation. Risk. And with people having like, I like that, informed risk evaluations with people having that on their own, you drop mandates. Right. Drop mandates. You don't have to wear a mask. You don't have to social distance if you don't want right. to. People act accordingly. I agree. Right? You act accordingly. You have all of the information. Driving a car is dangerous, but you drove here today because you deemed the risk is worth being able to go and have a conversation or do your groceries. Yeah. And it's like adults should be given the right information to then make sovereign decisions about whether they value the risk of doing something. Yeah. Right? If, you're, if your grandmother is really sick, well, the risk of going there and potentially passing something on might be worth seeing your grandma for the last time. Right? Like we need to be able to have, but you're right. In order to make a good decision, we need to be given truthful information. And, and, you know, I'm all for protecting people who are vulnerable. What better way to free up resources to do just that than to take the resources away from spending them on people who, who don't require them, right? If you're healthy and you, you are okay with living in a normal world where you can go and do groceries without a mask, without gloves, like, and interact with other humans, you should be allowed to take on that risk, just like you're allowed to go into the alcohol store and buy a two six of alcohol. And the government is kind of thinking like, okay, this is an adult. They can make the decision to not drink themselves to death. So we should just let them do that. And, and, that's, and that's exactly where I was going, where I wanted to go with the masks. When I said about morality, like truth, morality, that's what we're attacking. We accept the masks right away. But when we accept the mask, we're accepting that it is my duty to protect other people. Right. So... Where do we draw that line? Like, 
I would love, I, I think it would be a great idea. Let's go outside, you and me, let's go outside, let's go for a walk downtown and let's start kicking cigarettes out of people's mouths. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? right. That's or, our job. Or let's let's hang out at like a fast food joint, and every time someone grabs some fast food, let's smack just it. grab it to the ground, <laughs> smack it to the ground, jump on it, and be like, "Ha ha, it's bad for you. I'm protecting you." Yeah, this makes you perfect sense I mean? based on what we're doing right you now. I mean, someone's there's like an overweight person going to the car. It's like you can't get in. You have to run five laps first. Right. You know what I mean? Or you don't let them park in the close parking spot. You have right. to park at the other end of the parking lot. So where do where do we draw the line? Yeah, where do you draw the line? And and that's that's the scary thing is at what how much of our freedoms do we have to give up to protect other people? Right. Because that's ultimately what it is, right? And, and is protecting yourself actually protecting other people? This is like, so long story short, I, had, I got an email from a lady from the UK who was very upset with a post I did. I did a post from a foot nerd in Australia where it was this really effed up looking picture of someone measuring a kid's temperature with a gun to their, a gun thermometer to their forehead. And basically the lady emailed and said, um, I don't want to buy any of your products. I actually like to return them because I don't support people who are against masks and who are against government policies. And then I was like, okay, this is a good opportunity to just like have a, give a thoughtful response and give her some nuance. So I sent her that. It turns out that some of her direct family was being severely affected by COVID and like someone is like, was very, very sick. So she was clearly upset because she took it as me attacking the way she's doing things or putting other people in danger. And then I emailed her. I'm like, you know what? I'm not against, I'm not against masks. I'm not telling anyone to do anything. I even reread the post. I'm like, I didn't say anything that I'm against masks. I'm just for the freedom to make our own choices. And I'm trying to discover the truth. Anyway, send her this long email. She comes back and says, wow, I had a totally wrong perspective of you. You're much more empathetic. And, and then we had a discussion. We discussed certain points and it ended up being like, I'd like this lady. And hopefully she doesn't have a negative view of TFC and she didn't want to return her products. And that was just a prime example of like, people can get angry when they're only taking their perspective and they see what they choose to see. But the minute we had a discussion where all of the animosity between us was strictly coming from the lack of understanding. She didn't know where I was coming from. I didn't know where she was coming from when we filled those gaps. And it turns out we're pretty cool with each other. We can disagree on some things. That's fine. And it, it just goes to show that like we are all communicating in the virtual world way more than the natural world. In fact, part of the laws are preventing us from communicating in the natural world, from gathering. You're not allowed to gather with your friends. You're not allowed to see your family. If you do, you got to put something over your mouth. So it makes it really hard to communicate. Like all of these things are ushering us to a space that is devoid of any nuance and humanness to conversation. And so we're automatically going to start disagreeing with each other. And like one of the first things I would do is just like... I'm with you with the fact that people need the right facts to make good decisions. I think that is the base foundation for everything that even needs to get done. But I would also love to see a real conversation about health happen from the government to give people some locus of control that they can actually mitigate their risk, even if they get this thing, even if they get it. Here are the stats. If you're in these age groups or if you're in this, have this level of health, turns out you don't actually have to be that worried, you, but you do have to take care of yourself. And here are simple things every single person can do to make sure they're taking care of themselves. I haven't seen anything at all. I've seen no bus stop signs saying this is how you can boost your immune function. Yes. Right. That is really messed up. It's, it's <laughs> and I don't think it's being done on purpose. It's just, we need to have smart people that have an objective standpoint of things to say like, okay, let's get a bunch of doctors. Let's get a bunch of doctors that work with patients and then some research doctors, because those are two different planets. And let's, 
literally film a public a public discussion of these people like a socratic circle of going and giving their take and, and toying with ideas and discussing things to then pump out some sort of new way of managing this where it's like targeted protection where we protect people who are vulnerable but we give people back their freedom who aren't why isn't that happening it, it, it is it is like it is happening in one extent where this has been this has been an eye opener for a lot of people Right. Uh, like a lot of people don't have that eye opener until they get very sick, until something very bad happens. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, I got to turn my life around. I got to get healthy. Right. But this COVID has put enough fear into everyone that a lot of people are thinking about getting healthy. And a lot, a lot is a lot more than previously were, but it's still nowhere near enough. Right. Um, and wearing a mask is not getting healthy. Yeah. yeah. And, and like, I noticed like in the fitness community, there are a lot of people who are, really pushing the the wellness aspect of health mm-hmm. like and and, and that's that's amazing like the people have always been there you've always been doing that you see people like ben pikulski always doing stuff like that mm-hmm. um pushing stuff out there i try to do that through my app uh metro life and uh so we've always been trying to do that but it's blown up it, it's like right. a lot of people are talking about it right now metabolic mike is another really good guy for that cool. uh, but a lot of people are are talking about this but you're right it hasn't gone to the mainstream yet right. and, and why not and and th- that's that's a very good question is is it being stopped purposely for some weird reason just like the same reason like why don't doctors talk about lifestyle as much right like is there a purpose thing there because it's like a pharmaceutical type God of didn't idea, teach it to them. right or or is it something else so so that i i see the revolution kind of if any revolution were to happen, this should be it, where the whole world is affected and everyone is going through these issues. If there's any time where people start thinking, oh, how can I, yeah. how can I boost my immune system? Radical times immune? can create radical transformations. Yeah, and, 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 like, that's, that's where it is. And I actually forgot that I did this, but so I made a tracking sheet. So like anyone out there, my app is a tracking app, but I actually made a free tracking sheet downloadable on the if you go to metrolife.com, M-E-T-R-I-L-I-F-E.com, metrolife.com, and you go into the blog and you look for uh, the BMP and cats. Uh, it's a behaviors, oh, I can't even remember the title of it, but the cats was a coronavirus uh, tracking sheet. Okay. And uh, it's a tracking sheet that you can put on your fridge and it has every day, like you can track how much sleep you have. Uh, did you meditate? Did you go for walks? What was your mood? What was cool. the quality of your sleep? It's like a habit your, tracker. Your ability to focus. And it's just something that you can put on the fridge so you're tracking it because tracking it gets you paying attention to things mm-hmm. and paying attention to these things is ultimately going to make you do them better. Right. Like just by, just the, the act of paying attention to them will make you be five percent better at least yeah it improves your awareness uh, automatically yeah it's a free download you can download it's a pdf that you just print off okay so the cats and bnp uh behaviors to modify and practice cool is what the bmp stands for but uh but this is the time for that right and i don't know guys like everyone's got to do their part and i think i think another maybe one thing to finish off with is that we often um you know my approach to health is to use language as little as possible which means that my behaviors impact, I feel my behaviors impact people far beyond anything I can ever tell them. doesn't matter how good the facts are, what my opinion is, doesn't matter. People will look and say, okay, if this person is healthy, I want, what do they do? And I'm going to start to copy some of those things. Like we're, we're mimetic organisms. We copy other people. When we're kids, that's how we learn. But as adults, we learn by watching other people quite a bit. So I think don't underestimate how much 
your work that you're doing to discover truth or improve your health affects the people that are around you. And there's this book by Nicholas Krizakis, I think it's called Connected, that talks about the ripple effect of our behaviors and how deep it can go in terms of levels of impact. So for example, if I do a behavior and then you see that behavior, you do it, well, then your immediate family will do it. The people in your business might mimic it a little bit. The people who work with people in your family will do it. Like it's such a ripple effect. So just doing one thing that is countercurrent and having a good conversation with someone to get them to broaden their understanding of what seeking truth really means and, and hopefully getting them to see why being flexible in your thinking is important right now um, can be so impactful. And I think we under, we, the work of doing that and having that conversation, if it's not something you deeply find purpose in, might seem like a lot of work, but just know that the dividend that that can pay way beyond yourself and society can be powerful. So yeah, change yourself and you change a shitload of other people basically. And I think we all just have to determine what is worth, what do we feel is worth changing right now? And I think the the seeking of truth and being just kind of looking at the triggers that that come up when you see things and just kind of sitting with them instead of just reacting, I think is a really powerful first step, even if it's just a half second, even if you still react, but you take one breath before you flip out or before you write something like that is a big difference maker. And I think when you realize how profound that can be and how less you want to flip out after just taking that breath is like, wow, like you've, you've really just changed the trajectory of how you think and interact with the world. And I think Maybe that could be a good start for some people. What do you, what do you think? I love it. Breathe. Brian McKenzie. One breath. Yeah. Get it out there, buddy. <laughs> Breathe. Amazing. Jay, thank you so much for the good conversation. We kind of meandered a little bit, and I think there's probably some good future conversations we can have because when I listen, like there were points in there that I thought, wow, we could literally do an hour just on that. So when I have a re-listen, uh, maybe we'll do it again. But I really appreciate the conversation. Um, I appreciate your perspective and sort of your I have to look at that graph too, that political um, quadrants, the quadrants, because I think that that makes so much sense. And I think I need more time with it to really make even more sense of it. It's like, how can we even get people to understand there's other quadrants? Um, So yeah, man, thanks for your time. If you're listening, we hope that that was helpful. Yeah. Just look out for that book guys. Cause the, like where I talk about the political quadrants, uh, what's the ETA, the great scam. Uh, So I'm hoping, hoping six weeks. It's taking a little bit longer than I thought. Cool. Uh, the editing is very difficult. The tedious part, yeah. yeah. So the great scam, and then uh, Sisyphus is smiling is another. Sisyphus is smiling, stems journaling. Yeah, that's a good one. And then Metro Life. So yeah, man, thanks for coming. Thanks for taking the time. If you're listening, hopefully that was helpful, and we'll catch you next week.